This week's broadcasts are sponsored by the Finkelstein family of Petach Tikva, in memory of Avraham ben Hillel Finkelstein and Rafael Yehuda Aryeh ben Israel, whose yard sites fall this week. This is KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzay Torah, and we're starting a, another series of Shiurim on Pirkei Avot, a new series on Pirkei Avot from Harav Moshe Taradin. The second Mishnah of the third parak is actually a hybrid between two statements, seemingly having little to do with each other. Doesn't seem to be some inner connection or deeper correspondence between the two. These two statements of the second mission of the third parak were authored or cited in the name of two totally separate individuals, one living sometime during the Beis Hamikdash, probably a few generations before the destruction of Bichanina Skan HaKonim. He was an assistant to the Konim, but he obviously lived in an environment in which the Konim operated, and there are other sources in the Gemara and the Mishnayos, which are attributed to Bichanina, which demonstrate that he did live through an operating and active Beis HaMikdash, and Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion, who was one of the ten martyrs around the time of the destruction of the first base, of the second Beis HaMikdash. So they really weren't contemporaries. Their statements don't dovetail. The simplest reason that the two are appended is because these are just two different Rabbi Haninas. Rabbi Haninas issues the opening statement of this Mishnah, and Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion issues the second statement, and particularly in an oral tradition, a mnemonic device to facilitate memory was to cite in conjunction the two Rabbi Haninas, even though they had little to do with each other, and their statements are completely independent. The first statement, Rabbi Hanina Skan HaKonim, very well-known statement, having Mispalel Bishloma Shel Malchus, exhorting us, encouraging us to daven on behalf of the stability and the proper functioning of the local government, which certainly to Chazal and to Rishonim was a monarchy, so the word Malchut and government are interchangeable. She'ilmali mara ish esre'eu chayim blo'o. And he offers a very utilitarian reason. It doesn't talk about the Melech being a, a glimmer of a Kodesh Baruch Malchus, doesn't mention, he mentions the fact that if men were left to their own device, they were left to their own interests, chaos, bedlam, anarchy would reign. Literally, one man would swallow the other. Now this image of one man swallowing the other stems from a Gemara in Avodazar, the Gemara in Avodazar, Dav Gimel, talks about why human beings are compared to fish. The the Gemara quotes, which compares human beings to fish. And the Gemara offers, of course, the well-known first reason, because fish taken out of water will die. Similarly, man taken out of spiritual contact with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with Torah, won't survive. But the second reason, this is actually quoted by the Gemara on Dafdalet and Manalef in Avodazar, that just like in the marine world, larger fish swallow smaller fish, Similarly, larger people, stronger people, would naturally exploit, would naturally compromise the rights of the weaker. And 
that is why the Gemara talks about the comparison based, based on the Pasuk the Gemara quotes between men and fish. And Rabbi Hanina, Skan HaKonim, employed this metaphor of large fish swallowing small fish to capture the anarchic, exploitative state of human beings without politics, without government, to rein in the strong against abusing the rights of the weak. And in all cultures, because the marine world, the world of fish and marine organisms, is just so varied, and you can almost sense the ecological forces that are at play in our larger world, you can almost sense them innately in the marine setting. You can almost see the role of predator and prey, of large and small, of different defense systems, of of the largest animals, the, the, the whales, the humpback whales, Livia, Sanza, Yitzarta, Lesachikbo, being fed even by the most smallest krill, the most smallest uh, living organisms, or at least visibly living organisms. So the marine setting becomes a metaphor or a template for broader appreciation of the ecological, evolutionary w- forces at work in Akadosh Baruch Bria. And that's the difference between man, who is, would naturally fall into this food chain of prey and predator, but because HaKadosh Baruch Hu, unlike the fish, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the ability to, to rule ourselves. So we don't exploit each other, and we establish stable communities where people can live with natural rights and use that stability as a springboard for lives of prosperity, of creativity, of stability, of comfort, and ultimately of Avodah Hashem. And of course it is reminiscent of the very um, important Pasuk in Parshas Barashas, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu dispatches Adam, and through Adam humanity, to change his world and to multiply, Peru Milus to multiply, to populate the world, to conquer it, and Kivshua doesn't just mean to conquer the natural forces, but to establish uh, human communities that can exploit in a positive way the natural resources at man's disposal. And the completion of that Pasuk, Uridu Bidigasayam, and you should govern. Ridu literally means to govern. In modern Hebrew, a Rodan, Reish Vav Dalad, known as a tyrant. You should govern the fish of the sea. And what the Pasuk really means to say, content-wise, is that man should rule over the entire animal kingdom. And part of his ability to rule is that he can live together in clusters of human beings and pool those talents, and thereby establish superiority over the animal kingdom. But though the content of the Pasuk describes ruling over the entire world of living organisms, the style or the meta- metaphor, the image which the Pasuk evokes, is uridu bidigasayam, to rule over the fish and the marine organisms of the sea. So that Pasuk establishes, like Rabbi Hanina, the stark content, contrast between the marine, the marine setting where forces of nature run wild, not militant or belligerent forces. Predators of, of the marine ecosystem aren't militant or aggressive. Obviously, sharks are aggressive, so they're higher up the food chain. They're super predators. But just the natural swallowing of one organism, one life by another, that is what man's fate would have been like if not for Shlomo Shlomalchus, if not for the political spark which HaKadosh Baruch Hu vested within the human heart, it gives him a sense of politics and society and 
And, and Baruch Hashem, we're at a stage of human history where our ability to create political systems has evolved, by and large, where we've discovered healthy forms of political governance based on equality, based on fraternity, based on democracy, based on representation, rather than monarchical rule, rather than the rule of, of, of wise people as in Rome, the, the movement from the rule of one to the rule of many, but the Politburo mode or model where multiple personalities, typically older people who are in concert with each other, rule the entire mass. And now we have a democratic system, which is the fairest form of government, which we have discovered. It isn't the ultimate or ideal form of government. Our ultimate form of government is a return to monarchy, a benevolent monarchy, in which the monarch is checked against the abuse of powers because of a sphere of God, because of a theocracy, because of a kingdom of God. And as this year is being sent out, or I'm sure will be heard by many in the United States on July 4th, in and around July 4th, it's important that though we celebrate the, the value and the role of democracy in our society and the liberating power of democracy, we don't deify democracy. We don't establish it as, uh, as a vision of the end game or as this ultimate or perfect form of government. We're well aware of democracy's limitations. So Rabbi Hanina Skanakonim issued this statement. Chazal linked this to a very well-known Pasuk in Yermia. Yermia Chavtes Vidirshu Eshlom Ha'ir should seek the security and the peace of the city, Asher Iglesias Chamshama, Vhispalalu Ba'adal Hashem, you should actually daven on behalf of that city to that Kodesh Baruch Hu, Ki Bishlama, because through the peace of that city, Yelechem Shalom, you yourself will enjoy peace and prosperity. And Mechanina Skanakonim doesn't quote this Pasuk, but the two run parallel. I think the Pasuk in Yermia has national connotations. Mechanina Skanakonim spoke about, uh, speaking to every religious person. Every religious person should include a tefillah, an active prayer, on behalf of the security and the well-being of the local government, of the malchus, because for every human being, and certainly for a spiritual human being who would be praying, political stability is vital towards personal health and collective experience. Yermia speaks more to a people on their way to Gullus, abdicating sovereignty, abdicating nationality, abdicating that unique national expression of being a chosen people and being scattered amongst nations of the world, a historical faith that the Jews would know all too well, and Yermia cautions them almost that they may, must maintain their national vision but not at the cost of engaging their political surroundings and davening. And, and he doesn't talk about, he talks about davening Vispalubada, but he also speaks of Dirshu Ashlomayir. Not just to daven, but to be Doresh. Now Doresh sometimes has religious connotations. Sion he Doresh Einla. Yermia laments that Sion will fall into a state of disrepair where no one will seek it out, and the Gemara twice infers from Yermia's lament of Doresh Einla, Michlal de Baidrisha, that Sion requires something, and the pursuit of Sion is realized by the Gemara in the enactment of certain mitzvahs to remind us of the Beis HaMikdash, whether it's the extension of Lulav over seven days or certain halachas of Shofar. But Dirshu can mean uh, general. Uh, general uh, responsibilities. What does HaKadosh Baruch Hu expect of you? So Yirmiya doesn't just exhort us to daven on behalf of our local malchus, but to engage and to engage politically in the legacy of the last 200 years as, as humanity and society has moved towards democracy and enlightenment and enfranchisement has been Jews taking the lead in all forms of social welfare and in particular in government uh, when they were allowed in various governments, the 
the proportion of Jews who participate in official governmental roles or subsidiary governmental positions is obviously disproportionate to the Jewish population in most of the Western countries which we inhabit. So we always saw not just davening for Shalom Malchus, but being involved with and engaged in orderly government, we see this as a religious responsibility. And in part, um, part of our covenant with our host nations. Um, very famous Gemara in Ksivos, which talks about the three oaths that HaKadosh Baruch Hu demanded from the Jewish people, and the oaths that HaKadosh Baruch Hu demanded from the Gentile people, and the oaths of the Jews concern, the Shavuos of the Jews concern um, not returning to Israel in force, not uh, hastening Mashiach, and the oaths, and, and not rebelling against um, the authority of sovereign nations which host us. And this Gemara served as a basis for many to reject modern Zionism. How can we? How can we return to Eretz Yisrael with military or diplomatic influence? How can we rebel, so to speak, against um, the authority of other nations? And many have answered that these are not actually normative or halachic oaths or shavuos that HaKadosh Baruch Hu demands from Am Yisrael, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu set up a system in natural history, a system by which the Jews would be traveling from land to land, and in order for history to, quote-unquote, work properly. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to expect the host nations not to be too cruel to their guests. HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to expect the Jewish people to participate and to accept the dina, the malchus dina of their hosts. And by and large, except for, obviously, um, very, very sad and tragic moments, which are highlighted in Jewish history and which we mourn and which have left their imprint on the Jewish experience, but by and large, this has been the, the covenant of history, where Jews have influenced, for better, I mean, not for better or for worse, but when given the opportunity, as they were in Spain, as they were in some instances in Eastern Europe, fewer instances in Arabic lands, but... When they were given the ability, they influenced government, they participated in government, and they improved their society, and they were given refuge, and they were given, uh, they were hosted by foreign nations. And, and to a degree, to a degree, this is part of the drama unfolding in Parshas Lech Lecha, where three people, honor Eshkol and Mamre, host Avraham. And the notion that a Jew would not always enjoy sovereign position on his sovereign land, as much as we fight for it, and we dream of it, and we hope for it, and we, we're confident that it will come, it's been so elusive to this point, but at the very dawn of Jewish history, the notion of a Jew being hosted, Avram being hosted by honor Eshkol HaMamre, is etched into uh, historical consciousness. So these two statements, the Pasuk in Yermia, Perak Chavtes, Pasuk Zayin, the Mishnah in Avos, Rebbechanina Skanakonim, these are the forerunners for Arminhag of davening atfila l'shlom hamalchus, for the peace, stability, and security of our host government. Um, probably one of the earliest normative mentions is by Rabbi David Avudram, one of the early medievalists to write a sitter, and in his Sefer slash sitter, which is really a Sefer on Dine Tvila, but it serves as a as a roadmap for much of our Tvila. He writes in Kriya Satara, V'nagu l'hispala l'melech, Ulavarach Lashem Shivarchehu Viam Seola Ivav Davin Takarish Barhu that uh, he should give the Melech strength to overcome and overwhelm his enemies. Um, probably one of the more well known instances of Tfila Lishlam Hamadina was a Tfila 
composed by the Nader Behuda, Rabbi Cheskel Landau, who was appointed the rabbi of Prague in 1801. So uh, he authored a for Maria Theresa um, of Austria. Um, I'm sorry, Maria Theresa, Maria Theresa, as well as for France the first, France the first, the King of Austria. I'm sorry, uh, Necheskel Landau wrote a tefillah for Maria Theresa, and Mordechai Benet wrote a tefillah for um, France uh, the first. So throughout history, various tefillahs were composed. If you want to see the nusach, or at least the mention of the tefillah that the Noda Behuda composed, it's in Shelos Vichuvos Noda Behuda, the first volume, Simon Pechas, chapter 88. So this is the first part of this Mishnah, Rebbe Chanina Hakonim, discussing the tefillah L'Shlom HaShomachos. The second part of the Mishnah is authored by Rebbe Chanina ben Tradion. As I mentioned earlier, they don't seem to have much to do with each other, other than they're being authored by someone with a similar name. Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion issues a very, very different statement. He talks about two people who sit together, presumably not just two, but even two, and don't exchange words of Torah. So this encounter, this uh, meeting, is labeled by Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion as a Moshe of Leitzim. Now, he takes this phrase, Moshe of Leitzim, from the well-known first or opening psukim of Tehillim, Asher Ha'ish, Asher Lo'olach, Fortunate is the man who doesn't follow the ways of the wicked. V'derach Chataim Lo'amad, he doesn't stand in the path of the sinners. Over Moshe of Leitzim Lo'yashav, nor does he sit amongst Leitzim. Now, the word Leitzim, or the term Letz, has some very, very uh, infamous connotations. So, for example, the Gemara in Avodah Yud talks about four different groups of people who aren't zocha to encounter the Shechina. Their behavior is so degenerate, is so toxic, that the Shechina cannot tolerate their presence. And one of them are the groups of liars, another one, the group of Leitzanim. Now, Leitzanim here is loosely, but pretty accurately, translated as cynical people, poisonous people, uh, demagogic people, people who are demagogues, people who always see negative, people who are sarcastic, people who aren't able to appreciate the positive. As we would say, toxic, poisonous, uh, cynical, sarcastic. So, for example, um, Chazal identified Korach as a consummate letz. And uh, the well-known uh, series of Midrashim that he was always looking to point out the negative of Halacha, the negative of Moshe and Aaron's leadership, to find the loophole. So he challenged the entire system of Halacha by questioning Moshe about the Halacha of putting a mezuzah in a house full of svarim. And he meant to make a mockery. He meant to mock and to scoff at Halacha. Well, if the house is full of svarim, why would you require one parasha on a wall? And the answer is because most houses aren't full of svarim, so the mezuzah is a symbolic method for introducing Torah onto every door, and halacha doesn't differentiate or discriminate. So even doors of homes that have full svarim or fully stocked with svarim require that mezuzah, and for other reasons, obviously. But he wanted to, wanted to mock halacha by pointing out the, the area that halacha seemed counterintuitive. Anyway, this is the term leitzim as it's described in Avodazara Ein Yudchas, or as it's appended to Korach. Obviously, Rabbi Hanina ben Trajan isn't describing these people who sit and don't discuss Torah in the same uh, in the same negative terminology as Leitzim. He's just using the term in a different employment. People who don't just sit by themselves, but gather. There's a gathering, so anytime there's a gathering, so there's a great potential. The sum, the, the, the sum is greater than the 
parts, uh, the, the, the value of the sums, where people gather, they can accomplish great things. And if that gathering is inspirited by Torah, then it could it, it could be seen in a very, very, as, as the end of the Mishnah describes, in a very favorable light. But if that gathering is empty of Torah or any spiritual content, then it's a, a gathering that serves no larger constructive purpose because it's absent from any spiritual moment. Um, and this is where the Mishnah that people cite so often whenever we sit together, certainly at meals, and almost certainly on Shabbos meals, especially in the modern context, unfortunately, so many of our meals have disintegrated into just eating on the run, eating quickly, eating while we're traveling to work, eating while we're traveling, but certainly our Shabbos meals should be filled with tar. So he describes the gathering of two that's absent of tar, and then he contrasts it. But if two sit together and they do exchange tar, so here he talks about Shechina Benehem. There is a Shechina that participates in that dialogue. He quotes the Pasuk in Malachi, Az Nidbru Yere Hashem Ishel Re'ehu. There's a correspondence of different Yerei Shemayim one to another. Vayakshev Hashem Vayishma. Hashem will listen and hear. Notice the double employment, he will listen and hear, which presumably means a deeper form of listening and inter- interaction. Vayikosev, Sefer Zikar Lefanov. He will etch it on some book of memory, L'yirei Hashem, to those who fear God, or l'choshvei shemo. So, the interaction, the contact, so to speak, between the two people who are mentioning Torah together. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as Rebbe Chanina ben Tradion said, Shechina benem, the Shechina interacts with them, is evoked by the word Vayakshev Hashem Vayishma. These are very intimate words of Hashem, not just listening from afar, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu, listening as a participant, Vayakshev Hashem Vayishma. So the Pasuk in Malachi, which Yubichanina ben Shadron quotes, doesn't just invert the Pasuk in Tehillim. Two people sit without Torah, they're a Moshev Leitzim. Two people sit with Torah, then they're not a Moshev Leitzim, but they're doing something productive. They're a Moshev Zikanim, or a Moshev Chachamim. But Yubichanina ben Shadron actually doesn't just invert the Pasuk, but he ratchets it up the, ratchets up the schar or ratchets up the spiritual meaning that HaKadosh Baruch Hu actually visits that interaction, based on this Pasuk in Malachi, The Pasuk in Malachi is, interestingly enough, quoted by Gemara and Shabbos, which talks not just about two people that sit together and interact with each other in Torah, but interact respectfully with one another, despite their differences. And it, it harps upon the, the commonality evoked by the phrase not commonality, but respect and interaction of differences. And it happens to be a very important pasuk, especially in the modern context, where sometimes our passion towards our particular ideology or approach to learning disables our ability to embrace other approaches and appreciate and be enriched by other approaches. So, az nidbru yire Hashem ish el re'ehu. People who fear God are able to speak with one another even though they're different in their approach to Yerushalayim, they speak to each other, not just in the actual sense of speaking, but they acknowledge and they respect and they embrace each other. So this creates a uh, this creates excitement by in Hakadosh Baruch Hu when he participates, and that's the language of the Gemara and Shabbos. Samachim alam edbeis tamini chachamim nochim zemizeh David Hamelach in the very famous Parak Kufiutes. Oevani, I think the exact lesson of the Pasuk escapes me, but he talks about caring for anyone who fears you. I fear, I, I care for, I love, I think is his phrase. I can't be I love because it is, let me look it up for a second. 
actually it's amongst the Pesukim of Pesuses because it's in Kufiyatas Chaverani Lecholasheri Ucha. I'm a friend to all those who fear you, and if it just meant someone who feared Hakadosh Baruch Hu like David Melech, that wouldn't be such an accomplishment. But Lecholasheri Ucha recognizes the differences, the uh, the, the the distinctions between different types of Yerushalayim, and David Melech is trying to build a fraternity or a solidarity with those who fear Hashem, but whose fear may be expressed a little bit differently from his. So, a similar pasuk in Malachi, Perakimbal, Oz Nidbru, Yirei Hashem, Ish El Re'ehu. So, Rabbi Chanina ben Trajion focused on the phrase, Vayakshev Hashem Ve'yishma, in the presence of the Shechina. The Gemara and Shabbos talked about Tamidich Chachamim embracing each other. Oz Nidbru, Yirei Hashem, Ish El Re'ehu. And then almost stylistically, because that really wasn't the purpose of Rabbi Chanina's Halacha, or we begin in a statement, the primary purpose was to contrast between two who don't participate in Torah and two who do participate in Torah, the Moshev Leitzim versus the people who enjoy Kodesh Baruch Hu But having described two people who study Torah together, or at least who meet with each other and exchange Torah, Rabbi Hanina feels compelled to complete the series, Uminayin Afiduachad, even one person that studies Torah, Shiyoshev Osik Batara, Shekarish Barhu Koveloschar that Kurish Barhu provides him with Shar, and he quotes a Pasik in Echa. Yeshev Badad Vidom, you should sit quietly and in silence, Kinatala love. Now, there are two very interesting phenomena about this last piece of the mission. Number one, because it's very reminiscent of a different Mishnah, a Mishnah in Avos Paragimel, in which Rabbi Khalafta from Kfar Hananya just talked about the what we would call the descending order of how you study Torah. He talks about ten people, it's Parakimal Mishnah, about ten, ten people who study Torah, the Shekhinah is present, he quotes a Pasuk. Five people who study Torah, the Shekhinah is present, he quotes a Pasuk. Three people who study Torah, the Shekhinah is present, he quotes a Pasuk. Even two people that study Torah, and he quotes our Pasuk in Malachi. And then he concludes by saying, how do you know that even one person who studies Torah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, visits him? And here, interestingly enough, Rabbi Chalafta quotes the pasuk in Yisro, "B'chol hamakom asher azakir ashemi avoy lecha uverachticha." Wherever a person will mention my name, asher azakir ashemi lashen yachid, even one person will mention my name. And here is one of the places in the Torah where Talmud Torah is described as the name of Hashem. Just like a name is not the essence of someone, but it's the way we access that person. We want to call someone. So we call them by their name. That's not really who they are. I mean, arbitrarily we could change their name, but it's the way we access, the way we refer to them. So Torah is the way we access Hashem. It's not really Hashem. Hashem is beyond Torah, but it's the closest human being can come to accessing Hashem. And that's why the phrase Shem Hashem throughout Tanakh and throughout Tefillah always is a gloss for Hashem, for Torah, excuse me. And the two places in the Torah itself where Shem Hashem is a reference to Talmud Torah is number one, not necessarily in sequential order in Parshas Hazinu, Ki Shem Hashem Ekra When I call the name of Hashem, you should give a bracha, which the Gemara in Brachos Dafchafalaf employs as a source for Birchas Torah, the bracha before learning Torah. And this pasuk in Yisrael, Bechol Hamakom Asher Zikir Shemi. Whenever you mention my name, I will be there as part of the experience, which will be. Rabbi Chalafta interpreted as a reference to Hashem's presence whenever Torah is studied, even by an individual. So, for some reason, Rabbi Chanina did not quote this seemingly more compelling Pasuk. The Pasuk that in Yisro is much more compelling about Hashem participating in the Torah experience of an individual. Anytime you mention my name, this Pasuk in Eicha, 
It talks about a person sitting quietly and pondering the weight of the destruction of Yerushalayim. A person who suffers a tragedy should sit quietly in the corner, Yeshev Badad V'yidom, Kinatala Love, because the Gezerah has been decreed, the decree has been imposed upon him, so it's not really a Pasuk that talks about the solitary experience of Talmud Torah. Rabbi Chanina imports the Pasuk to mean that. Um, so it is a little bit strange that he would quote this Pasuk. There are two things that do stand out about this Pasuk, and this could be why Rabbi Chanina ben Trajan quoted it in our Mishnah in the third parak, as opposed to the quote of Rabbi Chalafta uh, a little bit later in the third parak, Mishnah Vav. Number one, the phraseology of Kinatal Alav. Um, in certain variant Gersels of this Mishnah, again, our Mishnah, Paragimel Mishnah Beis, it talks about not just um, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives schar, or that the Shechina is present when someone studies Torah by themselves, but um, Natal Alav sounds like it was all placed on him. Natal Alav. Again, the literal translation of the phrase Natal Alav in Eicha means that the Gzera, the decree, fell on him and he should just accept the heavenly fate. But Ki Natal Alav could also mean that he gets the schar for the whole Torah. He takes it all. Natal Alav, he takes it all on him. Again, in the literal context of Eicha, Natal Alav means he takes the entire Gzera and he has to just tolerate it and bear the weight. But Many Rishonim, this is really the Rambam's view of this Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. Natal Alav means that you should consider as if the entire Torah was given to you, or to say it a little bit more uh, pragmatically, you get the Sar entirely for the entire Torah, because you're the only person studying. Whether we take it into the direction of Sar or just the entire Torah was given to you, Rabbi Hanina in our mission is trying to punctuate the importance of Torah study even for one person. Rabbi Chalafta was just describing one person as part of an overall series. Five, ten, five, three, two, one. And there are differences in those numbers, and Mir Tzachem at one point I'll discuss those differences. Rabbi Hanina talked about the Moshe of Leitzim, two who sit together and don't learn. He then spoke about, by contrast, two who do learn, even if their primary focus is in Torah study, they're just gathering for some other purpose, but they exchange some Torah. And then he's trying to highlight the importance of even one person who studies, and you shouldn't think that since you're studying by yourself, Torah has no resonance, or Torah isn't as grand or magnificent. So he highlights it by quoting this Pasuk in Eicha, Ki Natal Alav, that even if one person studying, the Torah is, is ratified, the Torah, it's, it's good the Torah was given to humanity. Again, the language of the Ramam Kilu Nesinas, Kola Torah Kula Lo Levadohi, Maybe there's even a personalization that when you're studying as one person, Kinatala Love allows you to see your relationship with Torah in more personal terminology. As if you receive the Torah directly, not only as part of a community and a nation of people who receive the Torah jointly from Akadish Baruchu, but you received it directly. And Torah speaks to you, and there's a responsibility of each Talmud Chacham to try to personalize Torah in his voice, not just as the collective Torah of Amiso. So that's one interesting phenomena of this Pasuk in Pirkei Avos Paragimel Mishnah Beis, the Pasuk in Eicha, as opposed to the Pasuk in Paragimel Mishnah Vav, which Rabbi Chalafta quotes the more well-known Pasuk in Yisro HaBechol HaMakom HaSher Shemi. The other interesting phenomena, I'll just be very brief, is that the person studying Torah in this Mishnah in Avos Paragimel is studying it quietly, 
At least that's the impression that Eicha Paragimel provides, as it's extrapolated to Talmud Torah. Yeshev Badar, he sits by himself, v'yidom. Dome means quiet. Dimamadaka, a quiet voice, v'yidom aharo. So he's learning Torah quietly, he's studying Torah, he's contemplating Torah, he's thinking about Torah, he's analyzing Torah. And hold up this version or image of someone studying Torah with the Gemara Erevin. Gemara Erevin quotes a pasuk from Shmuel, Shmuel Beis, pasuk of Gimel, Arucha Bakolu Shmura. It's completely organized and preserved. So the Gemara interprets, in Marucha Bimara if it is something which is performed with all 248 of your body parts, Mishtameris, then Torah will be preserved. If it's Arucha, then it'll be Shmura. In Lav, if it won't be something which percolates throughout the entire human being, then it won't be preserved. And it talks about one Talmud of Rebbe Liezer's that used to learn quietly, and after three years he forgot his learning. Um, uh, Shmuel told Rebbe Yehuda his Talmud that he should speak or sing. Um, the Gemara quotes a Pasuk in Mishli, Ki chayim heim lemotza'ihem, Torah is life-giving to those who motza'ihem, who literally find Torah, but the Gemara interprets those who actually articulate Torah verbally. And this has led to the well-known practice in the yeshiva world to speak Torah, to uh, recite Torah, to chant Torah, even while studying Torah, even while reading Torah, to sing to a nigan, to a song, to a tune, um, with the sense that it provides primarily mnemonic impact, that's what the Gemara talks about, that if you'll study Torah verbally, it will be preserved. Talmud who didn't study, who forgot. Um, it's not just pragmatic, it could also be existential, that it has a deeper impact psychologically on the person, it's more formative if it's articulated. That could be the end of the Gemara, ki chayim heim is more formative, it's more part of life to those who articulate Torah, lemotzi'ehem bepeh. On the other hand, this Mishnah talks about a Torah which is internal, which is quiet, which is studied, and a quiet Torah can be preferable in two fronts. First of all, it takes other people into account if you're sitting by yourself in a room, so maybe the singing and the shouting is appropriate, but if you share space with another person, and every base matters is a space-sharing experience, so your attempt for a higher blend of Torah may come at the cost of another person's uh, peace of mind, ability to learn. Again, it can't be termed an absolute sense, because entering a base matters, so there's certain accepted practices, and part of the shouting and loudness is meant to be infective, the energy should be contagious, so by entering the community of a base matters, you take into account, I know that very often on a personal level, throughout the years that I've been affiliated with the Bate matters, I don't think I've ever told someone to learn more quietly, I never felt like that's something that I felt comfortable saying to another person, so whenever someone was learning too loud, I just picked up my safer and went elsewhere even if it meant uh, moving several svarim at a time. I never felt comfortable telling a person who was involved in the zeal of learning to try to curtail their zeal. But in the same token, my own personal, and I, am try, I'm, I do try to be careful not to impose myself, my voice, my level, a decibel level on other people. But it's not an absolute situation, and people that walk into the best matter should expect to find the shouting and the screaming, and shouldn't be deterred by that, and and even though he may not be able to concentrate as focused, but the overall contagious energy of the base matters hopefully will improve the learning. Um, on the other hand, there are moments to learn quietly. There are levels of learning. 
that can be only reached through a deeper analysis. If you're too busy articulating, uh, sometimes it's really hard to think carefully. So, Yeshiv Badad V'yidom Kinatan Alav is a corrective to the Gemara and Erevin, and there's not one way to learn Torah. There are different ways we learn Torah, different settings, different things are called for in different settings, different styles of Torah. Very easy to find one statement of Chazal and harp upon that statement and turn it into the absolute truth. And more nuanced, but more accurate reading of Chazal. Chazal oftentimes spoken different voices, excuse the pun, they spoke in different tones, and they realized that our Avodah Hashem is going to cover a very broad range of situations and contexts, and they were providing different images to help illuminate those different contexts.